still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every And Michael, his wife, lets him out the window in secret, and that buys him some time, and they, they take the, the fake David uh, on his sickbed to Saul for Saul to kill, and that just buys David time. And where does David go? Immediately following that event, he goes to Samuel. That's a good place to go, to go to the prophet, the judge of God, the the righteous one who can speak for God. He can go and inquire of God. And so we find him doing that very thing. In the area referred to as Ramah, toward the latter part of chapter 19. And remember, even then, uh, Saul sent messengers to kill David. And as the messengers arrived in his vicinity, what did they do? Not of their own will, but because the Spirit of God enters them, they begin prophesying. They they don't accomplish what Saul has for them to do. They accomplish only what God has for them to do, which is to, to prophesy, to speak the truth of the Spirit of God. And three times, in three different parties, Saul sends to this region where Samuel is, where David is, and the same thing happens. All of these messengers, these would-be assassins, they can do nothing but prophesy. So Saul decides he will go himself in person and accomplish this, this horrible task. And he himself is overwhelmed by the Spirit of God and begins prophesying. And we find a, a quite disturbing sight as we leave there. He has, he's laying on his face before Samuel, prophesying, stripped of all of his clothing. He has no control of his, his own body or his own mouth or his own circumstance. God is showing who is in control of this situation. This is a marvelous demonstration of the intervention of the power of God to save David. And that's what happens in that event. And as far as we know, that event does not inspire any of the Psalms. (laughs) That's interesting. That, that, That seems like a pretty inspirational story that could really elicit quite a bit of, uh, Discussion from a, the poet David, but no, that, that's not the story. That's not the story that our next psalm uh, is inspired by. For some unknown reason, 
Um, David leaves this place. I don't know why. Seems like everything's great here in Ramah. Why, why doesn't David settle here, stay here, surround himself with the alliance of Samuel and the other prophets where he has found the protection of God, where he has found the strength of those, where he has seen the supernatural intervention of God on his behalf. Well, for whatever reason, he does not. He, he flees from there, chapter 20, verse 1 says, and he comes to Jonathan, and he's, and he's seeking to, to come back to his former life, his former position. Maybe Saul, since this event has transpired now, he has a change of heart. God has entered into his heart to prophesy after all. So maybe that's the reason. And so they set up this elaborate means of communicating without having to have a face-to-face -face conversation. Saul becomes angry with Jonathan in this chapter, and it becomes clear that Saul's heart has not been changed with regard to David. And so ultimately, as we get down to verse 35, Jonathan signals David of Saul's intent to kill him. Things have not changed. So David is on the run once again. And we're told that he goes to Nob. And is this significant? He goes to the priest Ahimelech. David is by himself now. And David is away from Samuel. And David seems to be somewhat aimless. And David finds himself hungry and in need of food. And David makes up this elaborate story to tell Ahimelech why he's there. The king has sent him on this secret mission. And he elaborates on that somewhat, but he says, I, I need some food. You need to give me this bread. And all, the only bread that's there is the consecrated bread. And Ahimelech ultimately obliges. We'll spend a little bit more time in this story perhaps uh, next week. And we're introduced to another character here in chapter 21 in verse 7, and that's Doeg the Edomite, the chief of Saul's shepherds, who sees this interaction between David and Ahimelech. And Doeg is not a good guy. He's a bad guy. And we're going to see just how bad he is later in the narrative. But at this point, he becomes a tattletale, basically. Uh, he is going to report back to Saul that he sees David in this situation. David is on the run. He's looking for food. He has no weapons with him. He doesn't have a band of men. He, Ahimelech is accustomed to seeing David leading warriors, and David's out here by himself, and he's hungry, and Ahimelech has questions, and David has lies to tell him. And finally, David says, well, I just don't have any weapons with me. Any weapons around here that I could take? And Ahimelech says, well, you're, you remember that sword that Goliath was carrying? David was very familiar with that sword because he used that sword to cut Goliath's 
own head off. And so David takes that sword and he's on the run again in desperation. He is on the run. Again, we're not told why David does what he does next, but that brings us to the story that inspires our psalm for this evening. So we look at um, chapter 21, uh, the priest, in verse 9, the priest said, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in the cloth behind the ephod. If you would take it for yourself, take it, for there is no other except it. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. And so David, armed with Goliath's sword, leaves this place. And where does he go? Of all places, where does he go? He crosses into the territory of the Philistines, carrying Goliath's sword. Can you imagine that? Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, is this not David, the king of the land? It seems like the fact that David had been anointed king was rather widespread knowledge, not just among Israel, but among the enemies of Israel. The Philistines had faced David in battle many times, and he has killed hundreds of them. Actually, the song says, what? Thousands. Maybe that was an exaggeration. Is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of this one as they danced, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens, his ten thousands? And David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. Achish, the Philistine king, produces great fear in the heart of David. That fear was not present when he faced Goliath. But something has changed in David now. Circumstances are different. Saul has attempted to kill him 10 times. He is on the run for his life. He's left his allies behind. Samuel is nowhere to be found. Jonathan, his ally, is nowhere nearby, letting him know what's happening. The mighty men of valor and war that he spent a great time with leading, they're nowhere to be found. David is by himself. And he's lonely. He's begged consecrated bread to eat, to survive. These are acts of desperation. And as David desperately crosses into the territory of the enemies of Israel, we have to assume that 
He does that because surely Saul wouldn't pursue him that far. Surely Saul is, you know, he's safe from Saul here at least. Is that what he's thinking? We're we're left to speculate. But now there's a new fear coming over David. He hears the song. He hears the jingle. He hears his identity revealed of he's the king of the land. Maybe David can be a pawn in negotiations with the enemy. Maybe maybe he has some value to be uh, traded to Saul. Maybe there, there is some political advantage that this remarkable man by himself, and it appears that they've taken him into custody, so to speak. I would imagine the sword of Goliath is no longer in his possession. And now he hears them talking about him and singing the jingle, and David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. When you are greatly afraid, when you are terrorized, when you have lost all sense of security and all sense of control in the moment, you might do some desperate things. David did some desperate things at this time. So he disguised his sanity before them. And acted like, and acted insanely in their hands, and scribbled on the doors of the gate, and let saliva run down into his beard. I just have to say, this is quite a contrast from the young fellow that said, No, Saul, I don't need that armor of yours. I haven't tested it after all. Let me just go get a few smooth stones and we'll take care of this right quick. (laughs) Where did that guy go? Where is that courageous, faith-filled soldier of God? He's nowhere to be found. So David left to his own devices and his own desperation and his own loneliness. Says, all right, this is how I'm going to be delivered from This circumstance, I'm going to become a crazy man. And so he starts scribbling on the the doors of the gates. And well, what in the world is he writing? Maybe he's just scribbling. And he's letting his saliva run down his beard. We don't have an appreciation in our culture what, what what a beard meant to a man of this generation. The beard of the man was a symbol of his manhood. And the bigger the beard was, the more glory there was in his masculinity. And so men took care of their beards. And they put their beards on display. 
And we read about the beard of Aaron, for example, and what a glorious thing that must have been. It would be unimaginable for a masculine warrior to allow the drool of his own saliva to pass down his beard. Unimaginable. It's quite convincing that he is crazy. And Achish, the king, retorts, I think, one of the most humorous lines in Scripture in his sarcasm when he says to his servants, Behold, you see the man behaving as a madman. Why did you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen? As the quota for crazy people gone down, and do we need to add another one? I mean, it's, it's kind of humorous when you think about it like that. Do I lack madmen that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one come to my house? And so Achish is persuaded. He's crazy. He's also persuaded there is no value, political or otherwise, in this human being. And it appears that he is just released. So David is delivered from that dire circumstance. And I have to think about that. Shortly after this, David will go to the cave and all of the outcasts of Israel will start gathering themselves to him and he starts building his his mighty men and his uh, warrior force. And I have to wonder, did David tell that story to those men? And they're sitting around the campfire I imagine that story got out somehow. Maybe David did. And I have to think that his merry men, as they're gathered around the fire, a new, a new member comes into the camp. You've got to hear this one. David, tell your story. Tell the story about how you went to the king of Achish. And David seems to be quite the character anyway. And you might think, well, he's quite the joker and I bet he could tell a story. I I just imagine that he had this ability to to really keep the troops entertained. And, And so he might begin the story. Well, it was like this, you see. But at some point, the story changes altogether. Because that story, as funny and as ridiculous and as entertaining as you might assume that it could become to a band of misfits out in the Judean wilderness, that story changes altogether when David writes his psalm from which that story um, gets its inspiration. The tone of the story, and and we read a lot of different things about that. And so our psalm tonight is Psalm 34. 
That is the psalm that tells this story. It doesn't tell the story at all in detail, but it tells the story of where David's heart is. And as I read the psalm, I I hear David confessing some things. I hear him confessing that what he did was wrong. And and you can judge for yourself as you read it with me and as we we think about these things together um, about uh, how it's different now. If David did tell that story with humor and with entertainment value to his merry men, by the time he writes this psalm, I, I think he would be ashamed to tell that story because it wasn't the fact that he delivered himself because of his own ingenuity and his own clever device. Psalm 34 says nothing about the cleverness of men that will deliver you from a, tr- uh, a troubling situation, a fearful situation. It gives all glory and all credit for the delivery of God's people from their trials and troubles to God. And it, and it makes, you, makes me ask some questions, and, and you might think about those, those things as well. Um, we, we think that, well, I think that I can be clever sometimes. I think I can come up with some plans, some devices of my own. Yeah, I need to get over myself. (laughs) It's not the cleverness of man. It's not the ingenuity of man that gets the righteousness of God to become accomplished. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said it's what? It's, you know, one person plants and other waters. But God is the one who gives the increase. And and this uh, psalm is a lot about the role that God plays in delivering the righteous from their fears. Their fears. Their moments of terror. And uh, let's, let's just... Well, let me just introduce just just a couple of things about this. Psalm 34 is an alphabetical acrostic. That means that this is a literary style um, that each letter of the Hebrew alphabet has its own verse. There are 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet, and there's 22 verses to this psalm, each letter. I'm told that one of the letters got omitted. Uh, The sixth letter, which I won't even attempt to pronounce. But this uh, this is something that we find throughout the psalms. There are many of these. The, The most notable alphabetical acrostic is Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is takes every letter of the Hebrew alphabet and dedicates eight verses to it. Each letter gets eight verses. 
so that's the most complete, the kind of the supreme example of an alphabetical acrostic in Psalms. But Psalm 34 is certainly one of the acrostics. And so this is a uh, literary technique. Now, there's lots of literary techniques that are used. There are chiastic forms. There are um, just all kinds of things. But when it comes to the Psalms and the writings of the Psalms, the theme and the content are more important than the formula that's used to devise it. So that's why a letter is, is skipped, perhaps. Begin, begin reading with me in Psalm 34. And look at the top of that, the heading of this, a psalm of David when he feigned madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. Psalm 34 verse 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make his boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David doesn't talk about anything that he did. <laughs> but that's the event that inspired this psalm. David is thinking back on what happened then and he's saying, it wasn't that I was clever in my scheme it's that God delivered me and that God was kind to me. And so now I'm turning and I am going to bless the Lord. And that's kind of an unusual way, turn of expression. We, we don't talk about blessing the Lord too much, do we? we, we I, I, hear, I hear Jason say that. I don't hear anybody else talk about blessing the Lord. Because... In the way that we think about it, we think, well, God blesses us. He's in a position over us. He's the one that can bless us. We think of the word bless and we think, all right, God, I want you to review my needs and, and review my circumstance and I want you to react to that. And that will be a blessing from God. Well, how does a person bless God then? Well, it's, it's very much the same. We review who he is. And we react in awe and in wonder and in praise. Now, praise, we may think of praise as a response to what God does. But to bless God, a blessing is a response to who he is. We bless God. We react to what we know him to be. That is what it means to bless God. And we do that, he says, I, his praise shall be, continually be in my mouth at all times, he says. And he's not talking about different times of day or Time's on the clock or on the calendar. He's not talking about that kind of time. He's just talking about every circumstance. In every circumstance, or circumstance, God is to be praised, God is to be blessed because he doesn't change. Oh, David changed. <laughs> he changed remarkably. We've, we've seen a dramatic contrast as we talked about these two events in his life. But God's not like that. 
He's still the same loving. He's still the same saving. He's still the same caring. He still has these wonderful attributes. He does not change. And so David says at all times, it's appropriate to bless him and to praise him. He begins talking about his fears now in in verse four. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. Their faces were never, uh, shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and rescues them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Now, do you see the turn of phrase there? He says, I was full of fear because of my circumstances. I was afraid of the king, Achish. But then he turns it to the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. Our fear of things upon the earth, our fear of people, our fear of circumstances needs to be reconsidered in view of our fear of the Lord is is what David says. And again, it's not his clever device, it's not his play acting, it's not his his ingenuity that he thinks about as as that which has delivered him from that circumstance. He gives credit to God. All glory to God. I cried out to him. I'm a poor, wretched man. I can't do anything for myself, is how he's describing it. And and yet, God delivers. And so he, he invites all of us to taste that. Everybody, come to the feast. Come and and recognize who God is and the glory that is there. Taste that it is good. Join in with me in praising him. He goes on to say in verse 9, O fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him, there is no want. That's where our fear needs to be. See, this is... This psalm is all about fear and the right place for fear in our lives. He goes on to say, the young lions do lack and suffer hunger and they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. So he's saying the the young lions, they they are in want. they, They get hungry. Now, young lions, not old lions, young lions are strong and they're powerful, and they're capable of finding prey and chasing the prey down. And and there's nobody that is a match against a young lion who wants to eat something. But even the young lions, they get hungry sometimes. Even the young lions, with all of their abilities and their power and their strength, They suffer want from time to time. But those who seek the Lord, they will have every good thing. 
David says. Oh, the change of his perspective is remarkable. From the, from the, the telling of the story of his insanity or his, his, his act of insanity to the telling of the psalm, there's a remarkable change that has taken place in the heart of David now. He's not going to rely on his play acting or his, his cleverness to scheme. He's going to rely on God and his deliverance. Come, you children, he says. Listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Let's teach our children from a young age, he said, how to be successful in life. And the way to do that is to use your mouth in the right way, and to abandon deceit. This is a confession. (laughs) David was full of deceit. With both Ahimelech the priest and with Achish the king. He was all about deceit. He was all about the lie. And the lie just resulted in him spiraling deeper and deeper into his desperate pit. So he says, we need to teach our children to fear the Lord and to keep our tongue from evil and our lips from speaking deceit and depart from evil. Verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against evildoers to cut off the memory of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. David reveals where he was at this moment. He was heartbroken. His spirit was crushed. He has abandoned his allies of Samuel and Jonathan and Michael and the armies that he led. And in his loneliness and in his despair, he describes himself as brokenhearted and crushed in spirit. Didn't quite finish, so let me just, let me just finish reading. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of all of them. He keeps all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and those who hate the righteous will be condemned. The Lord redeems the soul of his servants, and none of those who take refuge in him will be condemned. I'm sorry I didn't leave room for you to bring your comments. I'm sure that there was a lot of things that you would have like to say about this or points that you would make about God and his rescuing. It's not because of our own devices or schemes. God can accomplish his purposes even in the midst of our feeble efforts. In fact, God can deliver us despite the fact that we get in his way. And that's what we find happening in the life of David, it seems, over and over again. Do appreciate your good attention tonight. Thank you.
Again, thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep smiling.